Coming up next, they they tend not to thankfully get into that this career for the money. They get in it because they're really interested in the topic.、Um, and then if you can find a way to make sure that the thing that you're looking at is interesting and has some benefit for society, then I think that'll help sustain you. The Job Talk podcast shares stories from people who are passionate and love what they do in their careers. Through conversation, we explore their careers, past work experiences, and the education that got them to where they are now. We are putting together a career crisis ultimate interview series. We are asking experts to give their best advice and guidance around work anxiety, career pressures, career goal setting, and ultimately career transformation. To learn more about this special interview series and get notified when it's available, please visit our webpage at thejobtalk.com/help. Today's guest is Chris Lonsdale. Here's our job talk with the senior academic administrator. Full disclosure for our listeners, Chris: you and I are childhood friends. We grew up in a small town in British Columbia, Canada, and you're now down in Sydney, Australia. Did you always know that you were gonna move away from Canada and live somewhere else? No, absolutely not. No,、um, but I think probably the the scene was set、uh, when my parents took us to live in in Germany for three years、uh, when I was ten, and yeah, you know, we traveled pretty much every long weekend and holiday all around Europe,、um, staying in campgrounds and going to what we referred to as the ABCs, another bloody cathedral, because、um, my dad was a bit of a history buff and loved to see all those things. So, no, he's more than a history buff; he's a total history fanatic.、Um, but yeah, I think it probably set the scene for for living overseas after doing that at a young age. Yeah, your PhD is in sports psychology. Why did you ultimately move away from that? <laughs>、um, so my original training was in in sports psychology. Yeah.、Um, And I think probably like lots of people in their mid twenties, I thought that competitive sport was sort of the most important thing.、Um, and so I was I started a, a PhD at the University of Otago doing sports psychology.、Um, and sort of interestingly enough, by the end of my PhD, I probably wasn't so enamored with、um, high performance sport. By the end of that,、um, and over probably the next next few years after that, I started to transition. Away from competitive sport, so I sort of dabbled for a period of five years doing work for various organizations, as well as having an academic career at a post at a university.、Um, but yeah, I think I sort of realized fairly early on that I didn't want to spend my life、um, running around、uh, with elite sports people. I wanted to do something that had a bit more、uh, of a public. Focus. So I started doing more in terms of public health.、Yeah. Uh, so looking more at behavior change and how to、uh, help people have、uh, healthier lifestyles, that kind of thing. Okay. So what is your what is your job title now?、Mm. Um, well, that's changed quite recently.、Um, so、I've, about six months ago, I moved into a full time management role at the university. So、uh, my academic duties in terms of research, teaching, and and service. To the community、uh, are are fairly limited now,、um, and so now I'm I'm completely、uh, a manager.、Um, <laughs> the a- academic bureaucracy is sort of the scourge of the earth. I've often said, and 
now I'm part of it. So yeah, okay. it's, it's, it's good fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll dig into your position and your day to day a little bit later. What was your first mm-hmm. post-secondary experience? Uh, so I guess it would have been, uh, early September, 1993, a long time ago now, um, loaded up a very rusty beige Volkswagen of some description, I think, with <laughs> our mutual friend, Christian Road, yeah. and um, and drove down to Victoria um, in British Columbia and uh, went to UVic. So I did my um, undergraduate degree at UVic and, and went on to do a master's there as well. And a master's. Um, how did you enjoy your time at U- the University of Victoria? Um, well, I was there quite a while um, because I think the first couple of years I sort of wandered around from different major to, to major. Um, I thought I was going to go and do sort of some sort of pre-medical degree in some kind of science. Um, and the, <laughs> my first semester or first year, I thought my biology lecture was probably one of the more boring people on earth and decided, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. And it's a funny thing about being a doctor, you need to do biology. Um, so yeah, so I, I ended up sort of switching around a few different degrees. I started doing a math degree for a little while and, um, and started, was going to do education and then ended up, uh, doing a degree in psychology. So yeah, I finished my, my bachelor's in psychology and then went on and did that master's in, in sports psych. Uh, and I loved Victoria. It was great. I mean, I was, I was there for about seven years through those two degrees and made great friends, played a lot of, um, rugby while I was at the university and, managed to squeeze in some schoolwork as well so yeah it was great yeah how was how your you played rugby that was your your sport when you were at the university of victoria what is it like being mm-hmm. a uh, athlete and taking a, a pretty heavy course load yeah i, I wouldn't really know because i didn't really i didn't really take <laughs> a very heavy course load until uh until the last year and uh, i decided i really wanted to finish um and i actually I realized that I was going to have to take, I think it was like seven classes one semester uh, and you're actually not allowed to take seven classes. So I actually had to, I think it was apply to the provost or one of the people who's in a job that I'm in now uh, for special permission to take extra, extra classes because for my first two or three years at the university, I mucked about so much and switched and swapped and spent too much time at the pub. Um, So yeah, but you know, I think in the last, so the year and a half, I really did do a lot of schoolwork and a lot of sport and had a job um, bartending and waiting at a, at a restaurant. Um, so, yeah, it was good. I mean, it was fun. I mean, I think like, when you're when you're that age, you don't uh, really think about it. You just sort of do lots of different things and enjoy all of it. And it's yeah, it's all just good fun. You leave the University of Victoria that and you mentioned you had a your PhD in sports psychology, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that was in New Zealand. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So the, the PhD came when you went to New Zealand and that was the university. Yeah. So I did, yeah of Otago. Yeah. So I did a yeah. bachelor's and a master's um, at UVic and then had a bit of time off probably a year, maybe a little bit more kind of mucking about in Vancouver doing various different jobs um and then went off to uh off to new zealand to do my phd and and kept playing rugby down there and um yeah like many 
I don't know, 23, 24 year olds, whatever it was at the time. Um, I really wasn't choosing my career path for all sort of the, probably the smartest reasons. Uh, I largely chose that university because I knew somebody there and because I wanted to keep playing rugby and New Zealand has lots of rugby. So that was well, about as gets, um, smart as I thought about it. And it gets you down to New Zealand, uh, beautiful country. Mm, yeah. Is yeah, that, so this is a 20 to 40 minute podcast. We could probably go on for hours uh, mm. if we went day by day, what happened in your life after leaving mm. the University of Victoria. But how did you end up in Australia? Uh, it was a pretty circuitous path to get here. Yeah. Um, I finished my PhD and then like a lot of academics, you sort of just kind of put your CV out there to the world. I mean, and you have to be, you, you can't be particularly choosy. Um, you know, you might have to just go and live somewhere that you might not want to be. Um, now I actually, funnily enough, I had, I had two job offers coming out of my PhD and, uh, one was where you are in Edmonton and, yeah. um, one was in Hong Kong and, Again, probably not making the smartest career decision, but probably making this the uh, for the better life decision. Um, I ended up going for the the one in Hong Kong. Um, the one at the University of Alberta in Edmonton was probably a better job in terms of advancing my career. But yeah, living in Hong Kong and and my partner at the time uh, wouldn't have been able to get a visa for Canada any, anyway. So look, it was all just kind of came together and ended up going to Hong Kong. And then I went to Ireland um, and arrived the month that the global financial crisis happened. Um, and within two years, it was pretty clear that you weren't going to have a lot of uh, job security in Ireland. And so I sat down with a map and said, right, first good job that comes up on the west coast of Canada or the east coast of Australia. Let's go. And the job in Sydney came up and we went. So that's how we ended up in Australia. Well, it's debatable um, lifestyle choice between Edmonton or Hong Kong, but that's that's an entirely different <laughs> conversation. Sure. Okay, let's talk about your position right now. Where are you working and what do you do in yep. your day-to-day? Yeah, so uh, I'm at the Australian Catholic University in Sydney. Um, so we have campuses all, all across sort of the eastern um, seaboard of, of Australia. and um, so I'm the, the deputy provost. Um, so what that means is the, the provost is kind of in charge of the four faculties that we have across the university. Um, and I'm essentially her right-hand man. So, um, I mean, I, I don't teach a lot anymore. Um, I do some research, but mostly it's about trying to keep the organization running and going on a, on a strategic path. Um, I mean, it doesn't sound particularly exciting, but um, I do a lot of work on policy. So, you know, we have things like, you know, how and when people get promoted um, and how we allocate their their workloads of what they're doing kind of in their day to day. So we have, you know, somewhere around a thousand academics. Um, so setting the policy to make sure that, you know, we've got people doing what they need to be doing and um, making sure that they sort of understand what success looks like for the organization and then feel confident and um, enthusiastic about achieving those things. Um, and we, we do a lot of that through sort of policy and, and procedures to sort of um, make that happen. So yeah, it's a lot of, um, 
Um, you'd think policy would be sort of like just sitting down at your keyboard and writing something, but that's actually sort of the very end part. Um, the the earlier part is all about you know understanding the context and having a lot of consultation, um, really trying to listen to what people are saying. So what's hard for them, what they want. Um, so yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of listening and trying to sort of think creatively about you know the problem at hand. Um, so a lot of analytical skills. So you know, there's what's the problem here, and you know how can we make that happen. Uh, in a way that's not going to cost the organization more, but it's more effective for people. So it's, uh, it's pretty, it's interesting work actually. Yeah. I've only been at this about six months. So um, in a year and a half, maybe I'll have a better sense of, uh, of, of whether I really like it or if I like, if I like it right now, just cause it's new, but, um, but yeah, at the moment I'm really enjoying it. Chris, what yeah. do you enjoy most about, about your career right now? Universities are sort of at an interesting point right now, um, especially you know, all over the world, but in Australia especially, in that you know the job of an academic is really changing. You know, there's not just because of the pandemic. You know, there's a lot of sort of shift to make sure that your your work is really relevant for you know for the for the country for the for this for society, and so the jobs are really changing. Um, you know. Obviously, information technology has had a massive influence on that as well. You know, the way that the pandemic and online learning and everything has changed things. So academics are definitely feeling pretty challenged right now. Um, so when you can sort of listen to what they're saying and then do something about it, not for the individual, but for the, for the whole university, and then you know, see a change in that, that that's pretty gratifying. Um, so we've had a we've had a problem at this university that the people don't apply for promotion very often. They um, and you know I suppose on the one hand, from an economic point of view, you might think that's a good thing because um, it doesn't cost the university more money because you have to pay them more. But you know we want people to progress at the university. We want them to have a career here. We want them to succeed, and we want them to sort of to feel good and, and do good work. So we we have a, a rate of people applying for promotion that's much lower than other universities in Australia. So in the last year or so, we've been going through this process to revamp our promotions policy. And a lot of that's involved consultation with the academics. And, you know, at the end of that, we've, we've doubled the, the number of applications that we got this year. And, you know, anecdotally people are telling us it's because they have more confidence in, in the process now. Um, so yeah, something like that. I mean, it just, if, if, if you can help people feel better about their work and it makes a, a difference to their day-to-day -day life, um, and to their career trajectory, then yeah, that, that feels pretty good. Yeah. What are some obvious challenges in, in your role that you face every day? People don't probably don't think about it, but universities are really large organizations. I mean, you know, e even a modest size university would have like $500 million of revenue um, in a year. And so because of that, they're, they're pretty large organizations. Um, so that comes with a lot of, of bureaucracy potentially. Uh, and even if you don't have a lot of bureaucracy, you've got a lot of interests from different parts of the university. And so trying to coordinate something across the whole institution is pretty challenging. I mean, you know, when you've got, more than more than uh, two thousand employees all told across the university, about half of them are academics. Um, trying to get something, you know, that seems like it should be reasonably straightforward done, can be 
pretty challenging because you get a lot of different interests across and people have different goals. So yeah, they see it, the world pretty differently. So yeah, it's uh, coordination is probably the biggest, biggest challenge. What kind of advice could you give somebody that would like to follow your career path and end up in a position like, like yours? The people who do well in academia are curious and they, they follow things that really interest them. Um, they, they tend not to thankfully get into that, this career for the money. They get in it because they're really interested in the topic and the best ones, I think, follow that curiosity and have uh, an innate or learned appreciation for passing on that passion for something to other people, so to their students. So I think it has to start with that sort of intrinsic interest in something that you think is worth worth looking at. Um, and then if you can find a way to make sure that the thing that you're looking at is interesting and has some benefit for society, then I think that'll help sustain you. So that's sort of how to be in academia. And then if you wanted to be in management in academia, hmm, I'll probably have to think about that one a little bit more. I'm not sure. Um, I think probably the, the biggest thing you could do is is really develop your your your, your listening skills and your negotiating skills and your influencing skills um you know you know you you, you're not gonna do very well at a university or probably at any sort of managerial kind of a role or management role if you're constantly having to rely on sort of your position of authority to get something done um you know and that's something i've really tried to make sure that i'm i'm trying to convince people, show people a better way, think about creative ways, sort of try and empathize with their situations to really try and understand what, what's hard for them, what they're trying to achieve, and then come up with a solution that works for them so that they, they get on board and they want, they want to help you drive the change. Um, so anything you can be doing in your, in your career to be learning those kinds of skills um, would probably be pretty useful. But as I said, I'm, I'm pretty new to the management thing, so I wouldn't uh, suggest that I'll figure it out, but that's, that's what I'm shooting towards anyway. What, what surprises have you experienced throughout your career? And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe one of the surprises is you didn't continue a career based right on psychology or sports psychology. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think if you'd asked sort of 23 year old me, uh, if I'd be doing this, um, Maybe the management thing, actually, I, I think I probably wouldn't have been that surprised. I mean, I, I remember really early on, even as a PhD student, talking to the dean of our faculty um, and sort of thinking that would be pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I probably would have been a little bit surprised, I think. Um, if you'd asked high school me, um, I would have been really surprised because I was pretty certain I was going to end up um, in medicine. Um, and yeah, just just didn't uh, didn't pursue that in the end. Um, so yeah, the, the, the track that I've taken, um, the other things that have surprised me, um, uh, look, I mean, you know, if I think about where, what academia and universities were like when I started, I mean, you know, the internet wasn't even a thing. 
<laughs> so, I mean, the the rate of which we can we can create knowledge and transfer knowledge across the world, I mean, that's just incredible. I mean, we had we had card catalogs when I started university, yeah, you know, microfiche, that kind of thing. I mean, like that's that's clearly the most surprising thing. I mean, now, I mean, I remember the the very first, and actually it was the only one I ever did, but the very first article I ever published, like I printed it and sent it in the mail, um, and. You know, that's just unfathomable now. Um, you know, you just, you know, the, the the exchange of ideas is so fast and the opportunity to collaborate with somebody that you've never met on the other side of the world. I mean, it happens all the time. You know, you just, you just email somebody out of the blue and say, hey, I'm interested in this. You know, would you be interested in looking at that with me? And, you know, a lot of the times they say yes. Um, and just, you know, I couldn't even, couldn't even imagine that when I started my career. So, yeah, that's, that's probably the most of um, surprising thing, but that's the same for so many industries, I'm sure. Yeah. What, what advice could you give yourself and let's say time travel existed and you're hopping on a plane, uh, flying to New Zealand. What do you think you would say to yourself as you started that literal journey? Look, I probably, when I was getting started there, um, I probably would have tried to reach out to sort of more disciplines across the university earlier. So I probably got a little bit sort of narrow and focused and that happens a lot with a PhD. You sort of, you're so focused on one tiny little sliver of the universe um, that probably you can lose a bit of the, the context. So, you know, I probably should have been talking more to, you know, people over in public health and education in different parts of the university. And then I did a reasonable job of sort of reaching out to working with elite sporting organizations to, to while I was doing my PhD. Um, so that was good. But yeah, probably just probably would have diversified a little earlier. Um, Might have set me up for sort of what I was going to do later on. But instead, I just kind of did that later on and learned on the hop kind of thing. How, how do you like living in Australia? It's good. I mean, it's been a bit rough this year. We've had <laughs> floods and, um, and I mean, we've had fires the year before and uh, obviously COVID's hit everybody, but um, no, it's, it's great. I mean, we, uh, Sydney's, Sydney's a pretty great city to live in. Um, pretty fortunate to live near the beach and um, yeah, I get to walk down there with the dog every morning, which is, which is pretty nice. Um, I think, I mean, I like to be outside a lot, riding my bike and playing golf and doing that kind of thing. And you can do that pretty much year round here, which is, which is nice. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's good. I enjoy it. Absolutely. I mean, it's a long way from everywhere else. It feels like sometimes, but, um, but that's okay. You can get on a plane or you could at least until the, the pandemic came. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I'm going to ask you a little bit about the pandemic. What was it like down mm. in Australia going through the pandemic? Because I have a few thoughts yeah. on what it was like living in Canada, but how how did Australia yeah. handle it? Well, it was pretty different, I think, than a lot of other places. I mean, they closed the borders pretty early, and they were pretty draconian about how they handled that. I mean, there were a lot of people, you know, stuck on one side of that border or the other, um, with family on the other, you know, and and not just sort of sort of. Um, adult parents and things like that it was you know literally your kids were on the other side of the border and because of some issue you couldn't get back um wow. you know and and as australians and, and i am an australian now um like we we literally weren't allowed to leave 
Like you, you just were not allowed to travel overseas unless you had special permission. Um, so yeah, it felt a little odd actually. And, and there was a lot of questions raised about sort of the legality of that kind of thing. So yeah, we, we, we locked down pretty hard and pretty early. Um, you know, I, I think we did a pretty reasonable job of adhering to public health um, orders and they were orders. They weren't guidelines, they were orders. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, that was a good thing in a lot of ways. I mean, I think the, the, at the other end, we, we looked pretty good. Um, I think there were times when the government could have done it in a sort of explaining things a little more and, um, but that's that's pretty hard communication's hard in a pandemic but we we did well and in terms of the sort of death rate i mean we've had 10,000 people die um when but as a as a rate um that's that's pretty good compared to a lot of other countries so um it's yeah it's been hard for everybody but i think australia has probably weathered it a little better than than most countries that's my sense anyway yeah, I, I'm looking forward to all the interesting documentaries that are going to come out on the pandemic and actually mm. the uh, Trump, Trump presidency. I'm looking forward to all of the behind the scenes uh, <laughs> documentaries on that. Yeah, it, I, I remember when the um, when the pandemic started and uh, I was listening to this guy, I think it was uh, Harvard um, public health you know, epidemiologist. And, and it was right when it started. And, and he was saying, Look, this is this is going to be a big thing, and it's it's probably the effects are going to be about five years. And I remember like talking to a few people about that, and you know, just the, the people were just incredulous, like that, no way, five years, come on. Well, it's looking pretty pretty bang on at this it point, is. really. I mean, yeah. we're nowhere close to being back to normal. I mean, we're now having a, another spike here, and um, yeah, it's it's changed everything. It really has. It has changed everything. And I'm most concerned about, uh, I've got younger kids while well, they're getting older now, but it was hard psychologically on them for sure. Mm. Well, Chris, my son thought it was great. He, uh, he loved home. He loved homeschool. He thought it was great. He could uh, <laughs> bang, bang out his schoolwork in two hours and then call his friends and play Fortnite. So they, he thought that was great. Uh, sorry. And how, how old is he? Uh, he's 11. Yeah, so he yeah he loves online games. I, I was watching my ten year old son at the time. Uh, he was walking around with a Chromebook, and he was often shirtless, so his camera was off. And I would see him in the backyard in his fort. He'd be in the kitchen. He'd be downstairs. So I don't know how much education he got over those two years, but we'll we'll cross that road <laughs> some yeah. other time. Um, Chris, right. I just want to say you've forged out a great career in that it's taken you to beautiful places all over the world. And you, you clearly are doing something that that you love to do. So congratulations on on the career and the choices that you've made, because not everyone, not everyone makes choices and lands in a job that they, they truly love. So congratulations on that. And Thanks, Kim. I just, yeah. you know, I just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing some of your stories. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Job Talk podcast. For more information, please visit us at thejobtalk.com. Our podcast music was created by our friend Mike Malone in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.